Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in the final week of our series, Rooted, where we're discussing what it means to be rooted in prayer. Small groups at C12 are starting back up, so make sure to check out the podcast description for more information. We hope that you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Well, what's up, C12? How are we doing tonight? Man, it is good to be back. Like Justin said, I was way in Hawaii, and it was actually the best. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the snowpocalypse here in Georgia. I had to flex a little bit being in Hawaii. You can't not. Like if you go to Hawaii, you got to flex a little bit in, in being in, uh, in Hawaii. Hope you guys really enjoyed the snow here. Uh, I'm originally from the north, so obviously I get to brag on it a little bit because uh, we've had uh, our fair dose of snow. Uh, who in here originally is from the Midwest? Anybody in this room? Hey. <laughs> Uh, you know what snow uh, is like. When it snows here, everybody's happy. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, snow, and I'll build a snowman. And when it snows in the Midwest, it's like, I'm angry. And I, uh, it all hurts. <laughs> and so uh, that's why I moved down to Georgia, must better state. Can I get an amen? Uh, tonight, I'm really pumped because we get to finish uh, our series on Rooted. <clears throat> And finishing out uh, what it means to uh, be not only just rooted in prayer, but what it means to have a life of perseverance in prayer. So tonight I'm going to throw out things like spiritual grit or prayer grit, uh, perseverance in prayer. It's all kind of the the, the same verbiage. But uh, before I dive in, I want to paint a little bit of a backdrop. So back in the fall, we did a series on the church. And and inside that series, we, we kind of depicted what is the church and who is the church. And so we concluded that, that we are the church, and, and when the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, there's nothing more powerful on earth than when, when, when the church that God has equipped and God has called is doing what they're supposed to be doing. See, the church is the hope of the world because of Jesus. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone of uh, not only the church, but he's the chief cornerstone of our lives. And so it's because of Jesus and what he's doing in our lives individually that now we get to be the hope of the world. So now we get to be the hope of the church. See, see, that's the truth. That's, that's the narrative. That, that's the backdrop. But grit is what makes it possible. Like spiritual grit is what makes it possible. Spiritual grit is how you continue to move forward. Like perseverance in prayer. When life gets hard, when things get tough, this is how you move forward. I think God invites us to grow in spiritual grit. I thought I'd just throw out the definition of a definition of prayer grit. How, how do I grow in this? Well, definition is the toughness and endurance to keep going when the outcome isn't certain. See, prayer grit, it's a toughness to keep dreaming God's big dream for your life despite all the setbacks and all the failures, all the maybe disruptions, maybe the unforeseen circumstances that have, that have happened. And maybe if you're honest, some of you in this room, you're like, I, I never thought I would have been in this room. I never thought I'd end up somehow at C12. But God has you here for a very specific reason. And maybe tonight you came in, you're like, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. Like if I'm, if I'm honest with others, if I'm honest with God, I'm, I'm just at the end of my rope. Maybe tonight you told God this was your last effort to find community. And if you couldn't find it, you'd never go to church again. Maybe tonight was your way of telling God that this is the, this is the last effort of living my own life. Maybe tonight you've told God, you know, I've been at C12, but I can't find any intimate friendships here. And maybe you told God that you can't keep doing your job. You can't keep going to school. You can't keep persevering through those things. Maybe you just don't want to wait anymore. Maybe tonight you're just too exhausted to tell God what you're really disappointed by. 
And we tell God a lot of things with our actions before we ever say them with our words. And all of us, we're carrying some level of, God, I'm at the end of my rope. God, I'm, I'm struggling here. Whether it's major or minor, I wanted to take a second and, and just pray uh, before we enter into the night. Pray over, not just this teaching, but pray over you. Or maybe you came in and you feel like I'm at the end of my rope. So we, before we jump in, God, we just thank you for not only tonight, God, we thank you for what you're doing. And God, I just pray specifically over people who feel like they're at the end of their rope. God, people who, uh, God, have come in and maybe they've just given up on prayer. They've given up on asking big things. They've given up uh, on dreaming things for their life. God, I pray that tonight you would speak intimately to people. God, would you begin to encourage their heart? God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump in. We're going to go over uh, some things with spiritual grit, and I believe that there are uh, uh, barriers to, to spiritual grit. There's things that actually prohibit us to continue to move forward in what it means to have perseverance in prayer. And then I think that there are uh, anchors that actually keep us rooted to keep going. So some prayer barriers to spiritual grit. Number one, the barrier of no desire. See, when we think of desire, it's not like wishful thinking. It's not like when a shooting star shoots across the sky or uh, when you blow out your candles on your birthday cake and someone says, make a wish. Like, it's not this type of, of wishful thinking or I, I hope I can desire this. See, when I'm talking about desire, I'm talking about like a deep-rooted desire. It's like it's a longing in your soul. Like, I, I have to have this. It's like an intense longing that, 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 that sits at the bottom of your soul and you're like, I have to have it. Because prayers are just really an outward expression of an inward desire. When you pray, you're talking outwardly based off of what you inwardly want. Let me say it this way. How many of you have ever been hangry before? Okay, yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> you have been hangry. And I'm not talking like, I'm not talking like a little hungry, like I could eat a snack. I'm talking like hangry, like when you don't eat, People feel the pressure with you not eating. Like, they're around you, and, and they're like, this person is going to drive me nuts. Like, when, when you don't eat, it's like everything just seems to bother you, doesn't it? Like, when you're hangry, you're, you're like so mad. It's like everything is now an issue. Like, the way you breathe, the way you drive, the way you look at me, the way you do anything, it bothers me. I'm hangry. <laughs> it's like the love of Jesus just went out of you when you're hangry. <laughs> You could be bleeding out. I'll give you a napkin. I'll eat my fries. I don't care. You can, you'll sit there. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hangry. See, hangry is like, you know, I, I, I will sell my left foot just to have a burger. Like I, I will do anything it takes. I have zero empathy for anybody else's problems. Don't care. Being a little hungry is like, ah, I kind of want it. Like, I, you know, I could eat something. See, being a little hungry is like, ah, I kind of want it. Hangry is like, I need this or I'm going to die. See, when it comes to hunger, you might have levels of hunger. When it comes to desire, there are no levels. You either really want it or you really don't. When it comes to a desire in your soul, you don't just kind of want it. It's either you really want it, you really want it bad or not at all. Look at what it says in Mark 10. It starts in verse 46. If you guys want to pull out your Bibles, you can. You can engage with this. This is uh, you engaging with the word of God. It's how God speaks to you. If not, it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me. But this is the story of Bartimaeus. And verse 46 says, then, came, uh, then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, 
a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, said, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. To go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his fight, received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. See, Bartimaeus was on the, on the roadside begging. He actually called out to Jesus twice, and when other people rebuked him, he said, oh, okay, well, if you're not going to lead me to Jesus, I'll lead myself to Jesus. Like, if you're going to be an issue in the way, then I'm, then I'm going to go make it even louder and make it even more known that I desperately need Jesus. And this could, you could view this story as a, as a way of persistence, that Bartimaeus just kept asking, and he kept saying, no, I'm going to ask louder. Oh, you, you try to deny me access? Well, now I'm going to say it even more aggressively. So Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But I also think that this is a story of his request going from general to specific. Look at what he asks. When he says, son of David, have mercy on me. He says it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. What is he asking? He's begging at the feet of Jesus saying, God, would you have mercy on my life? Would you have mercy on my soul? And what does Jesus ask? Well, what do you want me to do for you? See, when we don't have any desire, it becomes a barrier to spiritual grit because it gives no density to what we're even asking. We might say, well, God doesn't really answer my prayers. I don't know. Well, maybe God doesn't answer prayers because we don't know what we're asking. Jesus can see that Bartimaeus is desperate. He can see that he's crying out to Jesus, but yet he still asks what do you want me to do for you? In the midst of our begging, I think Jesus asks us the question, not to get a better picture, not for him to get a better picture of like, oh, what does this person want? But for us to make our desires more specific. Shotgun prayers don't return silver bullet answers. Sometimes we broaden our prayers because I'm too fearful to be specific because what if God doesn't do it? so that I won't be disappointed when God doesn't answer because I don't know what I was even asking in the first place. I love what Ian e. Bounds says about desire. The absence of intense desire is a sure sign of God's absence from the heart. To reduce fervor is to retire from God. Wow. To reduce fervor, to basically quit praying is just to say, God, I retire. I'm done. I'm out. See, no desire in prayer brings no life or longevity to prayer. So that's the first barrier. The barrier of no desire. The second barrier, the barrier of no faith. A barrier of no faith looks like having no expectations in the end. Or maybe it's just having packaged phrases in prayer. You just kind of repeat the same things. You, you throw it out there or maybe God will hear it but it's not really believing in what we're asking for. It's thinking about reasons why God wouldn't want to answer our prayers based off how he didn't answer them in the past like we wanted him to. It's giving up when we feel like we prayed too many times and we don't feel like God is saying anything. See, this is where we start to quit when God gets quiet. Well, now that God's not saying anything, now that God's not doing anything, maybe I should have stopped praying. 
the barrier of no faith is giving no room for God to move and it actually quenches the miracles that could happen in your present reality. And you might hear that and be like, that's, that's kind of harsh. Like God wouldn't actually show up and do something. In Mark 6, it goes on to say this, verse 5, and this is uh, Jesus when he enters into Nazareth. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. See, Jesus is in Nazareth. He's in his hometown, and he couldn't do any miracles there because of their unbelief. Well, why? It's because God wants us to partner with him. When we become a follower of Jesus, we become a co-heir with Christ. It means that we're a co-laborer. So God invites us into this mission that he's given his church, and now we get to be a part of it. So we partner with God. And his response, Jesus' response was that he was marveled by it. And in scripture, you don't see Jesus being marveled by a lot of things. He wasn't marveled by, oh, look at creation, or look at the Roman Empire, look how much they're dominating uh, this, this day and age, or, 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 or look at my unforeseen circumstances, or look at what's happening around the world uh, that, that, that is existing around me. Look at the things that maybe are, aren't going to happen or are going to happen. So he wasn't marveled by those things. But in Scripture, Jesus was marveled by, by two things. He was marveled by a person who's full of faith or a person who's, who lacks faith. And Jesus shows up in his hometown and is marveled by their lack of faith. What is Jesus marveled by in your life? Full of faith or lack of faith? He's pretty candid because he requires it. And what I love at the end of verse 6 is he goes on and he says, And he went about among the villages teaching. You see, God can't inhabit himself in a culture or in a person of unbelief. And if he can't have it there, he'll move on. And he'll go find somewhere else. This brings a barrier to our own spiritual grit. It prevents us from continuing to move forward. It's the barrier of no faith. The third one, the barrier of no humility. To have a life of spiritual grit and perseverance requires humility. It requires you to be in spots where you're desperate, where you're dependent, where you're broken, See, the bear of no humility would look like, oh, I'll just do it myself. I'll take matters into my own hands. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God's help. We feel like God's not moving fast enough. We'll take it back from God because we think that we can do it faster than the Holy Spirit. We try to do the purpose of God and what he has for our life without his power and provision. We try to force something. When, when, when maybe we're in a season, we're just waiting for God to do something. Well, I'm going to take it back, and I'm going to force it to happen. Have you ever been in a spot where you just feel like something just isn't connecting? Like, I'm just I'm trying to force this to happen? Or maybe another way, have you ever tried to uh, uh, say a joke or land a joke, and nobody thinks it's funny? And uh, now you have to explain the joke, and now you have to, like, and as soon as you explain the joke, you're like, oh, my gosh, forget it. Like, it's not funny anymore. Like, it's not. Uh, and when I was uh, actually at the uh, academy, which is where I came from, uh, for those who don't know, I left the residency for a while, went to a, a training academy uh, to do uh, mission stuff and medical things. And uh, when I was at this academy, it had this big orientation day. So 100 people are in the room, and uh, everyone's kind of looking like they're, like, military drill sergeants. Like, they're all, like, standing, and they're all, like, super angry, and they, they look like 
like a bunch of robots. And so I came in. I was like, well, let's kind of liven up the place a little bit. Let's, you know, crack some jokes. Let's make people laugh. And, uh, and so I started joking about the Midwest. And, and uh, they start going around the room. You have to stand up, say your name, why you did this job. And everybody did the spiel. And, hey, my name's Mark. I want to make Gwinnett better. And I'm like, I want to be different. Uh, I want to stand up. I want to start making some jokes, start laughing. And so I just said, hey, I'm from the Midwest. I start making jokes about Canada. Nobody laughed. And so I like, I was like, all right, well, let's throw out another softball. And I said, you know, you know, talk about the Packers and yeah, go pack go. I'm a big cheese head. And and again, like literally across the whole room, everybody stared at me. And I was like, oh, all right, tough crowd. We'll move on to a different day. <laughs> We've all been there where it just feels like I'm just trying to do this in my, I'm trying to like make it happen. I'm trying to force it to click. <laughs> There have been moments in life where you just like, I have to force this to happen. I have to make this work. And it's like that one piece of the puzzle that fits, but it just doesn't quite fit. We see, we tried to make it happen. We've all been there. We, see, we try to force it. We say we're independent. In today's culture, we just seem to celebrate when someone's independent. We almost like to champion it in our culture. Look at how much they can do. Look at how much they can do on their own. Look at how much they tackled in a work week. Look at how much they can accomplish. See, at its core, it rejects God. At the very core of it, it rejects God. In Genesis 16, you see this Sarah, who's um, at that time wasn't given a promise to have a son. This is two chapters prior before God promises that to her. And it says this in verses 1 to 2. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. AKA, you know what? God's not doing it. I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. God's not moving fast enough. Well, then I'm gonna do it. And God usually takes us on a humbling journey and it's the humility in prayer that gets formed because it's usually at the moments where we want to quit, I think God actually invites us to begin. I feel like that's more moments where prayer really starts. Now I really begin to be praying for the thing that I want. The moment where I tap out, the moment that I quit, the moment where I feel like I don't want to keep going, this is the moment where God invites me to begin. Because it humbles us. It removes us of our pride. God hates pride. Proverbs 8 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Well, why? Because pride opens the door for zero opportunities for a relationship with God. No humility is a barrier because, to spiritual grit because God can't accomplish this. His purpose is uh, in your life if you have a prideful heart. So those are the barriers, barriers that prohibit Maybe a life of spiritual grit. These are the barriers that prohibit us from actually moving forward in life, to have a life of perseverance and prayer. But I think they're anchors that actually keep us rooted, anchors that actually keep us going in life. The first is the anchor of hope. The anchor, this is the anchor of hope, that God will deliver you. If you're a Georgia fan, you know you've clung to an anchor of hope for a very long time. You might have been like this Falcons fan, you know, uh, just desperate. <laughs> when you thought you were going to win and you didn't. Maybe you're like this little Georgia Bulldog after Alabama beats you for the 40th time. 
<laughs> Maybe that was me after COVID. Didn't work out. Um, see, hope hope isn't placed just in a in, in a in a hopeful circumstance. Hope isn't placed in why I hope that this works out. I hope that this can get better. I hope that things change. See, hope isn't placed just in an outcome. It's placed in what God has done in your life, and it's hope that God will do it again. It's hope that, you know what, God has shown up in this way, and I know that, and I know that God's going to do it again. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians. I love this. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. God has done it before, and God will do it again. So on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, and many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. God has delivered you before and God will do it again. God is with you now and he was with you then. God is with you on the mountaintops and God is with you in the valleys. God is with you. He's, he goes ahead of you. He goes before you. He's already in the circumstance that you didn't know was going to happen. God is already there. He's meeting you. He hears your prayers. He's in the valleys. He's in the hard times. See, God has delivered you before and God will do it again. So you don't need to play it safe. You don't need to wonder, is God going to rescue me out of this? Is God going to show up this time? Is God going to move now? We can place our hope not just in the past. We can place our hope in a person, and that's Jesus. So it's the anchor of hope. Second, the anchor of the gospel. See, the gospel is the good news. This is what changes somebody's life. This is the power of the Holy Spirit coming to you and, and tugging on your heart to, 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 to rescue you and to transform you, to not leave you in a life of sin, but for God, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross. See, that's the gospel, that he died for my sin, he died for your sin, he died in your place. The gospel is the good news. This is the anchor that keeps us going. And when you give your life to Jesus, see, we are a new creation. So my old life no longer defines me. My old sins no longer trap me in. My past sins no longer choose to, to describe who I am. I'm not defined or held by my guilt or by my shame, by my fear, by my addiction. See, I'm not held by these things because of what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross wasn't just for past sins. It was for every sin. What Jesus is still doing in your life, he's not done with it yet. And God will do immeasurably more if you keep going. God's not done writing your story. See, if you need revitalization in your prayer life, maybe just go back to where it started. Ask God to restore the joy that's even in your own life. God, would you restore the joy of my own salvation? God, take me back to the moment where I said yes to you. I didn't question it then. And I felt so on fire for you then. God, restore that fire in me again. He uses the, the, the power of the gospel God uses to change lives. He does it in our own life. He does it in other people's lives. And I wanted you to hear from a story from New Paul. You guys know New Paul, been around C12 for, uh, for a while. And New Paul's sitting up right front here, man. And, and uh, a little while ago, he got baptized here 
at the campus, but I think this is a story of God's testimony in your own life, how God saved you, how God redeemed you. And I think it's also through the persistent prayers of others that they kept the anchor of the gospel, they kept the anchor of hope, and they believed that God would do a miracle. Why don't you check it out? I grew up in a... Um like a Hindu and Buddhist household, but they weren't very practicing. And at this point, I was uh, I was like an atheist or an agnostic, where I was kind of unsure, like, you know, nor, nor did I care. I never knew anything about like faith or God. So Veronica's my girlfriend, and like we've been dating for six months. She's just a real woman of God. In the beginning, I told her like, hey, like, no, I'll check it out. I'll treat it as like a history lesson because I acknowledge Jesus as like a historical figure, and I see the impact he has. We downloaded the, the Bible app, the version. I started coming to 12 Stone, started coming to C12, just to see and just get an experience. I started a Bible plan, like first steps with Jesus. And then I started like taking it more seriously. I started looking deeper into it and then just trying to find like a connection. I stopped by another church that I, I don't even go to. I was just standing in the back of the room and they were they were playing worship music. And and then I just I just felt something like I'd never felt before. Like uh, I felt like this burning sensation like inside me. And at that moment I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, whoa. This is, this is amazing. I'm asking for signs and like, uh, how can I deny this? Like, I just got emotional and just, just started crying. And that's that's when I gave myself to God and just surrendered my life to Him. When I did tell Veronica after service what happened, she showed, she sent me a picture of a prayer that she wrote the week before, saying that she prays that the Holy Spirit filled me like a burning fire. The exact words I used to describe it. So that's when I realized I was like, whoa, that's. I just experienced something that's just, that's undeniably God. Ever since I experienced that moment, I've just been telling everyone about God. Like, I was like, just telling all my friends, like, guys, this is real. Like, you gotta, like, give yourself to God now. Like, I wouldn't lie to you. Like, what I've experienced is undeniable, and it's simply the truth. And that's, that's what I've been trying to spread to everyone and anyone I can. Come on, we can celebrate that. That's the power of what God can do. See, that's the power of, of the gospel. See, it's that anchor that we can cling to. That no matter what I go through, no matter what life throws at me, no matter whether I got that job promotion or not, no matter if I see a bad medical report, no matter uh, what insecurities rise to the surface, no matter what things that I have to endure, the problems, maybe the constant sin struggles, it doesn't matter because this is the anchor we can cling to. This is the power of the gospel. That God is still in the business of changing lives and God is still in the business of changing yours. I love celebrating moments like that. People coming to know Jesus. And what I also love is not just salvation stories. I love sanctification stories and what God's continuously doing in you. Because no matter where you're at, you can always fall on Jesus. You can always fall on Jesus. The The third anchor. It's the anchor of community. Anchor of community. So we're in this together. You're not alone. 
others are in this with you. See, in Scripture, we see Paul talk a lot about in his letters to exhort one another, to counsel one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. See, we see this in Scripture that Paul modeled, hey, you need other people. To just say that you need Jesus isn't enough. You need other people who can be in this with you. And God often works through other people. At C12, you've been around, we've been talking about a couple of things, and here's kind of the three key pillars that we've been leaning into, not only as a church, but also as a ministry, which is worship, community, and impact. And if you've been around C12, you know that we've had small groups uh, in the past, and, uh, and, and we're leaning into the element of community again this semester uh, by having some more small groups. And so uh, I wanted to have more of a dialogue with it, so uh, I want to invite some of the small group leaders, um, the, 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 the newer small group leaders that are going to be jumping in. And why don't you guys just give them a hand as they kind of come up to the stage. They'll kind of grab a stool and a mic, and, and, and I wanted you to hear from them uh, and what and their heart for, uh, for, for, for young adult ministry, for college ministry. They want to pour more of their time and energy uh, and investment into you. And so, uh, like I said, one of the things that we have been leaning into is community because you know uh, when a storm hits in your life, it's almost like too late. Like, it's almost too late to find community. Like, this is, these are some things that you need to establish even here and now. And so, uh, as they make their way uh, to the stage, I just wanted to have more of a dialogue about uh, community, what God has done in their life, how God has uniquely uh, gifted them uh, in this sense. Uh, and so, we're just going to kind of go on down uh, the line here and, and just share a little bit of your guys' heart uh, for, uh, for small groups. And so, Keely, why don't you start us off? Keely, you've been a part of C12 for a while uh, and, and have led a 12-stone home uh, here at, at 12-stone. So, share a little bit of your heart for small groups and what small groups have done for you. So, I've been in C12 since 2019. I actually came, I posted on Facebook that... I had this really big longing for community, and I didn't know where to start, and Gabby Criscolo invited me to C12, and that's why I'm here, all from the cause of needing community in my life. I've been a believer for a while, and I just know it's important, and so I actually led a foundation study um, last spring, and then I got to be a part of Emily's small group, and it's just been really impactful, and community you just learn from other people, and that's how you grow your relationship. Because you have yeah. to learn from somewhere. And so I'm excited to have my own small group. Me and Timmy just bought a house in Monroe, and um, I'm excited to get started. I think that community is so important. Yeah. I think you hit it right on the head. I think community is a vital piece. And, and Gabby, I know that you uh, you know, have been a part of C12 for a while, and this has kind of been brewing up in you. And and, and you, you, you do things with like a, a theology type ministry. Like you study, uh, what, what is that? So I study apologetics. I just got back from California and I just filmed a TV show that will be airing tomorrow. And it's no called, big deal, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Glad You Asked. And pretty much the show is about um, my pastor and his daughter-in-law and we answer questions and some of those questions are talking about dinosaurs and evolution and pretty much why the bible is true why science and history prove that god is real and the bible is trustworthy and when people say like oh i can't believe in the bible because this that and the other proves it wrong well it doesn't and that's what i study and that's what i try to share with other people because i think that's a big roadblock and once they understand that that's not a roadblock, you can have 
historical, physical proof that the Bible is real, sometimes that's just all they need as that push forward. So good. And, and when you uh, just kind of felt a little bit of a call from God to just be a part of more community inside C12, but also leading it, share a little bit of your heart for what you hope for inside small groups at C12 and, and kind of why you wanted to step into that. Well, I went to a Christian high school and middle and elementary school, and I saw so many kids grow up like, oh, I love God. I'm on fire for this. And as I got older, their questions were not being answered. They were not finding it in their community of other Christians. They're like, well, I don't know either. And I just saw so many people fall away from the faith, fall away from God. And I was like, I can't, this breaks my heart. How can I help them? And I was like, well, I don't have the answers either. And that's when I got into apologetics. And I was like, I have got to help people with this. I have to say, like, listen, there's things that we can do together, conversations that we can have. And the more time I spent with other people, I realized that it's just a huge need right now. And I want to meet that need. And I feel like that's God's calling on my life. He's like, all right, you need to go and have community with people and explain these things to them so they can be even more on fire. So good. Come on. Let's celebrate that. And I love what you hit on that, you know, maybe uh, in different contexts you have. Like, I just have more questions. And, and maybe you come to C12 on Thursdays or maybe come even on Sunday mornings and you're wondering, well, like, I, yeah, but I have more questions. Like, I have, like, wh- who is Jesus really? How do I really pray? How do I actually practice these disciplines in my faith? And, and I think we all have some level of questions in us. And so groups is where you get to grow in discipleship. And that's where uh, you get to have some of those questions answered and also work through it with other people. And I'm glad that you, that you hit on that. Um, and, and Joel, man, I want to move on to you, man. Uh, Joel, originally from Florida, right? Uh, any Florida people? <laughs> got a couple in the house, got a couple fans. Uh, Joel, tell us a little bit about your experience inside of, of college ministry. I know you have some being down in Florida. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about that. Yeah, so um, I graduated from the University of North Florida back in 2004. Um, and <laughs> while I was a student in college, uh, I got involved in the campus ministry there, Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's uh, called Crew. And uh, it was life-changing for me. It, and it was specifically because of things like community groups, small groups, Bible studies, things like that, one-on-one discipleship. Um, to this day, I think that my involvement in those types of relationships and uh, communities have been one of the most impactful things that have that I have experienced. It touches in every aspect of my life, um, and I got the uh, opportunity to serve on staff with Crew for about six years as the campus director. Um, several years after I graduated, and it's just one of those things where it's like I've had so much that's been given to me and poured into me that I just have a real heart and passion to be able to continue to pour that out into others as well. That's awesome. That's so cool. And and share a little bit more of like what your prayer is maybe for the group you're leading or, um, man, this is my hope, man. If people come to my group, man, I love to, for them to experience this or for them to grow in this area. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that one of the things that I at least experienced when um, I was a student, and, and I'm sure it's the same for everyone uh, still today, is this, and in fact, you touched on it, you know, the, almost the idol of um, individuality and just the idea that like 
while I was a student and even to this day, there's that constant urge and that pull to be my own person, my relationship, just me and God, my, um, my value, my worth, everything that I am, it's always like I'm trying to put on a show or facade for someone else. And in college, that really came to a head and kind of living like a dual, a dual life where I'd come to things like this and be like, you know, big Christian guy and then go home and be completely unrecognizable. And it was in the context of community groups and, and Bible studies and whatnot that I recognized that God uses community specifically to be able to allow me to learn from others and others to really get to know me in a way that I never would experience otherwise, to know that I am loved and welcomed with no judgment and then encouraged to walk closer to Christ. And that's what I really want um, everyone to be able to experience, regardless of the group that they're in, that they go there and that it's something that they see Jesus in the other people around them. And that it's not about how well you perform or anything else like that. It's completely about how can we walk together as the body of Christ. Those little community groups are church. That yeah. is church in yeah. small form right yeah. there. Mic drop, man. He's preaching. Come on. <laughs> I love what God has given you a heart for, and and all of you in that of of for community and and I know Nat and Steve, you got oh Nat, you used to really lead inside of a college ministry. Uh, uh, I love to hear more from your guys' perspective of of what that was, and and uh, yeah, you guys can both answer <laughs> same sure. time. Yeah, I, I can go first, but. Um, my uh, kind of my story is similar to yours too. I was involved with a college ministry, and that was way before you even. <laughs> um, it was uh, the college ministry was Chi Alpha, which is it's part of the Assembly of God um, campus ministry, and uh, through that, through small groups and through the college ministry, it, same thing. It had a huge impact on me in my spiritual formation and just my walk, walk with Christ. Um, and the one thing that I've always taken from that time is that I understand that I need community and I need to be, I feel like I need to be in some, something like a small group because I can't do this on my own, yeah. you know. Um, I need other believers in my life to be there for me, love me, encourage me, hold me accountable, you know, all the things we talk about as Christians. Um, and I, I'm still in touch with a lot of those people that, um, that I was involved, involved with and I had a good group of, of uh, guy friends that um, we till this day we talk. So that's one of the things my hope is, is that we can build some good relationships there. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a co-ed. We're going to host a co-ed group. And um, we're not college students. It might surprise you to know. <laughs> we're actually out of that season now. Yeah. But uh, I have led a college ministry before, a school of leadership. I've been involved in several different areas of college ministry. I just think it's kind of crazy that we look at an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old and say, decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> Make all of the crucial decisions within the next five to seven years. Good luck. I think it's crazy, you know, that we do that in our culture. It's because if you think about, we look at who we were when I was, when I was 18, even versus 25, and it's like, I'm almost embarrassed of my 18-year-old self in some ways, right? You just, you grow so much in that time. And we are just farther down the road. Those experiences are still really fresh for us for some reason. I believe it's because God's given us a heart 
to just um, walk with you through some of the biggest decisions of your life, some of the questions. I want to do 22 things. Like, how am I supposed to choose, you know? I love that you're doing apologetics. I was like, I kind of want to go to her small group. That sounds awesome. I love apologetics. But wrestling with the... Discovering who I am through the lens of Jesus, like not through the lens of culture and my my gifts and okay. all these other things. But if you become intimate with Jesus, if you understand who he is, you understand who you are. Yeah. And we know that we can help you with that. Yeah. And we simply know that sometimes you just got to have somebody in your corner. We'd love to see um, the best guys and girl friendships. Like we should we should be the best at it in the church to have healthy friendships between guys and girls. So that's why we opt to do a co-ed group. Um, we'd love to just invite you to join us with that. And we know God already has amazing plans. Yeah. Sometimes um, sitting with someone who's a little farther down the road in that journey and asking questions and filtering your thoughts and your fears and your hopes, uh, sometimes God, we just pray that God will use us to encourage and to maybe sometimes bring clarity or ask questions. That's the hope. That's awesome. I love to hear that. I love your heart in that. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And I think that uh, in today's day and age, you know, there's, there's lots of, I think, especially in these years, how foundational they are. Whether you're 18 or you're, you know, 28 in this room, that there are a lot of things that we wrestle when it comes to what job am I going to have? What major am I going to pick? Where am I going to live? Like, what do I do inside of, of this complexity in life? So much happens in a five to seven year time frame. And I'm glad you hit on that. And, and I think, you know, you three specifically are here uh, because you guys bring a lot of uh, unique wisdom to the table. And, uh, and I think there's so much value uh, in learning from people who are like, yep, I've been in that season of my life. I've been in this spot. I've, I've been here before. Let me show you how I walk through that. Let me show you the things that I've learned, the things that Jesus taught me in those seasons. Uh, and, and I just kind of view it as, hey, when you, when you get to sit under somebody who is just older than you, who's gone ahead of you, uh, it doesn't make them irrelevant. It's just hey, they have things that I'm like, you know what? Oh, my gosh. You have just little pieces of gold nuggets that I just want to keep putting kind of in my pocket that I'm going to save for the future, that I'm going to save for right here and right now. Um, and so I'm so glad that you guys are jumping in, leading a small group. And I believe that you all are uh, incredible leaders and an amazing uh, influence uh, in, even inside of C12 already. And so uh, can we just give it up uh, for them being a part of small groups? You guys can head off stage. But as we kind of close out tonight's service, and I know this is one of the pillars that we talk about a lot is community because we need it. There's going to be questions you have, and I don't know how to work through it. There's going to be things that are going on in my life, and I don't know what to do. And as we close this out, I can't Megan to come up. And maybe there's just things that are just, they just like they're, burdening you. There's things that are like, this is what I'm currently going through. And they just wanted to sing even this song, The Blessing, over you. That maybe life right now, there's just too many unexpected things going on. There's too many things that are outside your control. Medical things you didn't expect to happen. Things in your own life that you're like, this is not the way I planned it. This is not the way I wanted it. And I want to take a moment to pray over this room specifically. So God, I just ask Father, right now for maybe the, the circumstances that some people are in, God, I pray tonight you just encourage them so deeply. God, I pray for people that have been just looking to find community. God, I pray, Father, they would be 
God, paired even with the right group leader. God, they would be paired in the right group and God, around the right friends. And God, I just pray for those that maybe were looking for just at least just some friends. God, I pray that you would even go above and beyond that because that's what you wanted. Because God, you want fellowship, which is a deeper, intimate level of what it means to walk with you, but God, with other people. And so Father, I just pray over people, God, who are just struggling. God, who are desperate for community, who are just desperate to reach out. God, I pray that you would just speak intimately, God, to people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the C12 Podcast today. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small groups and search college in the search bar. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.